put five minutes of preparation and thinking and planning into every one minute you are in front of the customer. The Startup Student Podcast, the podcast for students who want to be their own boss, where students and experts from across the world and I, Christine, give you practical advice. We are looking into tips all around starting and marketing your own business, as well as productivity to better balance your student and business life. Turn your idea into reality. I'm your host, Christine. Let's start this episode. Hello, hello, hello. It's Christine again with Karen. Welcome back, Karen. Well, thank you very much for having me, Christine. And I can't believe it's the last one. I'm going to miss it. I know. I just wanted to say this is, uh, for now, the last episode of this series, Protecting Your Legacy as a Social Entrepreneur. Um, there are already three fantastic episodes out there. Um, I have to say it, and I'm not thinking they're fantastic because of me. I'm thinking they're, because, uh, they're fantastic because of my lovely guests all the time, and in this case, Karen, um, who's sharing all her knowledge with you. Um, and we talked about um, five boring things last week, um, which are for some people not boring, for some people, yes, but they are necessary and they were all the hot numbers. And today we're going to talk about five other things that are for some maybe a bit boring, but also necessary. And this is all about people. Karen, over to you. Thank you. Yes. People are as important as numbers. Um, and I mean, my first one, as far as people goes, is actually might feel counterintuitive. So it's about having lots of things written down in terms of systems and governance. So we talked about governance and protecting your legacy. And I talked about writing down what your mission is and putting it in your articles. Um, but what we don't realize is the minute you write something down, you help other people understand and you make people feel safe. Um, so when people are uncertain of what's expected of them, they don't feel safe. And it depends on the type of person. If they don't, some people, when they don't feel safe, stop and freeze and don't do anything. Some people just walk in circles and achieve very little, um, but look like they're very busy. And some people just take charge and decide what they're going to do. Um, and if you want to control your organization, you want to get people to do what's helpful to your organization. So writing things down is useful. And as I thought I'd give two examples of that. So the one is in a governance way, but it's still systems. And the other is in an operational way, two ideas. The first one is, so when you recruit a board of directors, they're supposed to help you run the organization. And it can get personal as with any people think. And if you have some board rules written down and it sounds a bit um, like over the top to say, we'll write, we'll say to people when they join the board, they've got a letter of appointment that relates to a job description, that relates to a code of conduct, that relates to meeting principles. That's four pieces of paper, which tell a potential director what you expect of them. And it also helps them engage with you effectively. Um, so you're not going to willy-nilly pick a whole lot of random things in those four things. You're going to make that link up with what you want to achieve. It doesn't mean that you that they have to obey and be like little policemen and uh, that you're a policeman and they're just obeying what you do because you tell them to. It's, it's more about giving them the boundaries and the framework to work in and go, okay, so you said you want everyone to be on time to meetings. I'm really sorry. 
I'm going to tell you in advance, I'm really crap at time PP keeping. I'm always five minutes late. Please don't count it against me as a director. At least they know that you've said it quite clearly and everyone else is going to think, hmm, they're not on time. Um, personally, when I think someone's not on time and they don't tell me I don't, I have a problem with time, and I, then I think they're being rude. Um, yeah. So if we have it written down, yeah, agree, everybody knows. It, it's really... Uh, it can be really uh, difficult also for me because it's it's for me it's a bit of a, a thing of respect uh, for yeah. the other person's time because everyone is busy everyone has things to do um, even if it's something that they're looking forward to but uh, probably there's another meeting afterwards so that means the other meeting overruns um, understanding that this person doesn't do this on purpose maybe the other meeting over overran um, but at least uh, tell me <laughs> even if yeah. you say 10 minutes before I'm really sorry I'm late and I mean these days um, with uh, where everything's online there can be really technical issues that are out of your um, control <laughs> but yes. uh, then try to find a way to, to reach out to that other person and by us having it written down that this is what we expect then everybody knows you're not being personal you're not picking on that person you're giving them the guidelines to say okay, so it's written down that I need to be on time. So I just need to write down and say, I'm coming. I'm really sorry I'm late, you know, um, and it's not personal, which is helpful. Another sort of completely different way of having a process that helps is uh, help people write operations manuals and staff manuals and staff handbooks. Um, and often people come at that from the point of view of whether I want the person to um, pack cherries well. So Packing lesser cherries is a whole process. I can explain it to you in great detail, but I won't bore you with that boring thing. Um, so you think, well, the operations manual, the staff handbook tells them how to pack cherries, or it tells them this is the disciplinary process, or it tells them how to get leave. But it can also tell them what the day is like. So I always put at the front of these um, manuals a typical day. And I say, you know, we, we all say we start at 8.30, but what really happens is it's great if you arrive five minutes early and get a cup of tea so that when we're all at our desks at 8.30, we can have a meeting and everyone's got tea. Um, and then at between 10 and 11, people tend to take a break. If you want to make someone else tea, there's a list of what the tea looks like next to the kettle. And sometimes in handbooks, we put like a photo and put it up. Um, and if you're a smoker, people tend to take a smoke break at these times during the day and they go and stand next to the dustbins around the corner and you go out the back door and please don't put a piece of wood in the back door because that's a security issue you may need to make sure you have a key you know you tell people all these things that everyone does because it's obvious um, and it's the same whether you're online or not so even online it would be so we have a stand-up in the morning and it doesn't we don't mind if you do the stand-up in your pajamas with a teacup in your hat that's fine we object if you have crunchy nut cornflakes and crunch them but if you have a quiet cereal we don't mind you know just telling people those kind of things actually helps people feel safe and it helps them then be really productive and happy which is what you want to get your business done so it's a people thing but it's a process thing I love that uh, with the with the serial example, but it's good. It's very practical, really real life stuff. <laughs> and and we sometimes because I work with people who might not have had a job before, it maybe I I think it's more important to make people feel safe. But actually, everyone needs to feel safe, and everyone in a new space doesn't know the rules. 
And if if you can't write the rules down, then maybe you get a staff meeting, get everyone together and say, you know, I've been thinking, I don't know what we do. How, how do we do this? Um, I want to write it down so everyone who joins us knows what the rules are. What are the rules? How do we run our, how do we do things as a team? And the more that's written down, the more people go, I don't like that word. It doesn't work for me. Um, so that's helpful. So then let's stay with people and staff. Um, be realistic with recruitment. So the thing is, when you're a social entrepreneur, most social entrepreneurs I know work really, really hard because they really, really care and they kill themselves. And yes, Christine, you and I have both highlighted self-care and don't waste your time and, and sort of try and be realistic and fair on yourself. But at some point, you're going to have to add someone to your team. <laughs> and um, I want to tell you now, 50% of the people you add to your team are not going to stay. When I've, so I've worked with about 3,000 social entrepreneurs and I've seen this happen. It doesn't matter whether organizations are big or small. It doesn't matter whether they have, I'm just going to hire my friend or I'm going to go through a three-stage interview process with six referees. I've seen it all. Just kind of on balance, it's about a 50% success rate. It, and it, it might not be you. It really might not be you. It might be them. It, it might be timing for everybody. But I think when you go in your first hire and even as you grow each team, every hire is really important. And, and I feel people either put like a huge responsibility on themselves and the person that is going to be a success, or they feel like they failed when they look back on a year and go, well, I hired seven people and only three stayed. Oh, well, that's dreadful. That's actually over the average. So if we're talking about people, be realistic from the beginning. I'm not saying you're not going to do everything to get it right. So in order to get everything to get it right, get organized to give them a chance. And part of getting organized is having these operations and these systems and, and knowing what you want. So even if you do what I know, it depends on what kind of person you are. You might say, I need another person in the team and I've got these roles but I'll see if I get a person I like, and then they can make their role. They can pick and choose all these pieces that's left. They can decide what they want to do and we'll build the role around the person. So you can do it that way. Or you can say, I'm going to hire for this role and I'm going to be really specific and tight on it. Either way, you need to know what you're asking them to do. You need to have a list of things that you want people to do. So getting organized and going, these are the things that someone else is going to do for me, and then I'm going to hire them to do it. Whether you're hiring them to be your virtual assistant, a full-time member of staff, a bookkeeper, a social media person, you actually have to get organized and have a list and say, this is what I want you to do. Um, and it takes time, you know, that, you know, preparing for every meeting with that person, making sure that you're being really clear and, get, and you're organized. Because entrepreneurs naturally carry so much in your heads you don't have a glass skull unless you get it out of your head and write it down and share it with people in a very short, sharp way, you're going to overwhelm them because you have so much in your heads. I know. Um, so the first sort of around recruitment is 50% success is great. Get organized. And finally, if you are hiring someone into a full-time organization, um, I think and I've seen lots of data on this. It doesn't matter how big or small the organization is. It can take six to 12 months for someone to be delivering at what would be 
So again, this is all around expectation management. So expecting not to get it right every time, expecting to be organized so they can join you. So not expecting that they can read your mind and expecting that they cannot arrive and be 100%. And the, the, the part where I see this failing the biggest is in sales. Lots of social entrepreneurs want to, to hire a salesperson. It's one of their first people. I kind of see people hire assistants and salespeople and technical people. So if you're one of those people, you either have to replace yourself or you want to hire someone. And um, a salesperson is not going to make sales in their first month. They might. But that would be like really, really unusual. In fact, they could take a while to sell, especially if it's a product that is all new, which often social products are. So that's the next one about being realistic with recruitment. Does that make sense, Christine? Because I know last time I rabbited on without stopping. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. It uh, makes all perfect sense. And I love uh, that we talk about recruiting because this can be really... Um, difficult you look at the experience then you look at how the person is in front of you then you look at how does it fit in with the company and with where it goes and what can this person maybe provide to the company to move it forward um it's not an easy thing to recruit i've been uh, through that myself recruiting um for another company i worked with um or that i founded co-founded and um asking the right questions to see if they have the knowledge is one thing for this you also need the knowledge <laughs> or yes. someone that does um but also yeah to see if they really fit into the team and always i always say recruit always someone who you think is even can do a better job than you in certain things maybe not in all um but this means it will help you to grow the company some people i i've talked to in the past said no i um, because uh, I'm, I'm the boss, I need to be the one that knows all and uh, the one that is basically best in everything is not going to be a helpful attitude because um, you should uh, yeah, invest into the people that come into your company as well, even though they might leave the company, like you said. <laughs> yes, and if you invest in them and they leave the company and you have invested and they've left for whatever reason, even a bad reason, if, if you've done everything well chances are they will then go on and talk about you in a positive way and that's good marketing recruitment is actually a marketing exercise so the minute you say we're looking to recruit people you're telling everyone your organization is big enough to recruit people that's like a great marketing message and it's not a marketing message just going buy my product or buy this and say oh we're looking to hire people so this is an opportunity for everyone and we're big enough to hire them and we can pay them. So um, yeah, it's a great marketing opportunity. And even if you say 50% failure, as I've said, I know it sounds negative, um, those, you want those 50% to feel like they got it, had a good chance and it just didn't work for whatever reason. And so they will be positive about you and continue the positive mm -hmm. marketing message. I like that. I like that you say recruiting is a marketing tool. And I completely agree. Um, I know people who had interviews um, and they were not respectful interviews um, and or they said oh yeah we will let you know tomorrow and you never hear from them again uh, not even a no or um, yeah I mean it's uh, I think this is not a good sign and then uh, if the person didn't get the job I said well look they didn't even bother you, uh, to tell you that you're not in 
and not yeah. a reason as well <laughs> why not um so it's not a company that you want to work for if if no. they're already like this in the recruitment process who knows how they're going to be like working with completely um so then when we're talking about marketing we lead into sales which is all around people and the, and it's around people in a number of ways when is you know we talked about um I talk about having your authentic sales voice and knowing how you sell and not feeling like you have to sell like anyone else. So equally, if you're selling, you need to know your authentic sales voice, but you also need to help other people to find their authentic sales voice if you're recruiting them. But we're going to focus on when you're having to sell. And it, everything you do is sales. So how you interview someone, how your receptionist answers the phone is sales. But when you're in this situation where you want someone to buy something, so we're narrowing it down to the traditional sales approach. It's really important. And I'm going to have to go back to numbers. You know, I've thrown numbers in all over the place. Um, that you put five minutes of preparation and thinking and planning into every one minute you are in front of the customer as a minimum. Some people say you should put 15 minutes for every minute. And what you're doing in that time is you're thinking really carefully about what you're selling, what you have to offer, and why this person that you're talking to is going to buy. And so it's boring because you want to just rock up and say, buy my thing. This is it. It's great. And actually, you need to think about it because for you, it's a really simple thing. This. There's so much about what you're selling that is internal to you, that's obvious to you, that is fabulous to you, that other people have said is fabulous, that you don't want to swamp the person with everything. You actually want to sit down and say, well, this person's going to buy it because it does this thing, whereas this person's going to buy it because it does something completely different. So thinking in advance and, and having a plan, but then when you're in it, Often salespeople just talk. Actually, you really should follow the rule that you have two ears and one mouth and listen. So you say something and see what they respond to. And then you respond to what they ask. Because sometimes you'll think, well, they're going to buy it because it's pink. And you wave it in front of them and they don't comment on the color and nothing happens around the color. But they go, oh, I like that edge. That's like really interesting. And you say, oh, why do you like it? Does it look like anything you've seen before? Suddenly you might go, well, I did all this preparation around one particular sales script and now I'm going off script. That's why you need to put extra timing because you need to say, well, these are all the different things they might be interested in. I'm going to lead with this one, but I'll have thought through short, sharp little sentences to sell the others. So sales is actually just boringly preparing. So with sales, we've talked, so that's sales is number three, and we've talked about preparing and thinking it through and having the detailed, boring stuff in mind. And so number four or number nine would be um, selling is, is boring because you have to just do it every day and find a way to deal with rejection. So I had this amazing entrepreneur told me, uh, I don't understand why salespeople don't like getting a no, because I know that on the law of averages, the more no's I get, the closer I am to a yes. And that's what drove her persistence. And whatever you're doing, it's just like when we started at the beginning where Christine was saying it took three years to get ready to open the store. It just takes time. It, there's this 
concept in marketing of touch points that some things you need to have touched a person so many times in order for them to actually engage or actually sell um, it takes time and you just have to gear up to going all right every single day i'm going to do one sales call or i'm going to try and book one sales call and in order to do that i might have to phone five people and find a way to get a rhythm and get used to talking to people and accepting that today might not be the day you get a yes and that yes could be a small yes it could be just they don't want to have coffee with you uh, ever but that's the way it feels to you but actually it's just today they haven't said yes let's do coffee um just leave them in peace maybe come back to them in two months time. So on the boring side, this requires tracking. So having something like a customer relationship management system, which sounds so complicated, it doesn't have to be, can just be a spreadsheet where you have a note of a person's name and when you spoke to them. And it's not about you going back to it and going, well, I haven't spoken to them enough this year. It's about going, oh, I spoke to them six weeks ago and I spoke to this person 10 weeks ago. I'm going to speak to the 10 weeks ago. Or if they... And just have a little note next to it about the conversation. So you have their telephone number, you have the email address, and you just put a little date in. Microsoft does it automatically with your calendar. You can add, you can turn your Outlook and your contacts into a CRM. There's loads of free customer relationship management tools out there. But just a little spreadsheet, or if you like writing things out, which often makes your brain work differently, just write it down and track it. Now, the reason why it might seem a bit daft to put their number, telephone number and email and their name next to it is at some point, someone else is going to have to pick it up and you want them to have the details so that when they go to you, oh, I've just spoken to this fabulous person, Christine. And if they don't have a look at your record and go, well, actually, I know Christine really, really well. You don't need to speak to Christine. <laughs> um, it's great that you've identified that she'd be a good person to talk to, but um, she's in the system. And so the fact that you can easily hand over the book or hand over the spreadsheet and people can help you, it helps you from a boring point of view, but it helps you in that planning process for when someone has to do it for you. So that's the second last one. And the last one sounds like it's not about people, but it really is. Um, I don't think we can talk about entrepreneurship without talking about investment um, because it, entrepreneurship seems synonymous in the world we live in to investment. Um, and it's not, I don't think it's the be all and end all. And I think you, you need to figure out your why, figure out if you want to change the world, what that change is, figure out what the right concept for your legacy is. And if you need investment, that has when we're talking about investment it's either going to be a loan or it's going to be equity but in our crazy startup world it tends to be everyone goes you need equity investment you need to know three things if you're talking about investment is investment is another marketing experience because you have to get to know the investors and um, nobody buys at a pitch night that's the starting point of a conversation, or it might even be a midpoint, you know, a really good pitch night will have you sharing something in advance, you might not share it directly, but someone else will have shared it, there'll be information, they'll have checked you out on LinkedIn, they might have gone on your website, so there's all this stuff happening in the background that you don't have control about, but the investors checking out you should be checking them out. You should be going, well, who have they invested in before? If you can go, oh, they invested in that company. 
let me talk to someone in that company about that investment. Um, so you're doing due diligence on the investors, they're doing due diligence on you before you even meet them and pitch. Um, and before you even engage in that conversation, you need to know you're ready for investment. And that isn't just about the numbers, it's about do you want to lose control of your company? Because that's what happens when you start to get investors involved. And you can manage that and you can control it. But at the end of the day, I think it's a really important process for entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in general to say, is that what I want? Do I, do I want to build something for someone else to run in the end? And, and that's a completely legitimate aim. But equally for millennia, people have been building businesses, handing them on in families and slowly growing them without selling them on. So it's a choice that we is not obvious to us. And the last thing on this point is often when you create an impact business, you know, last in the last podcast, I talked about impact costs money. It's often really hard to create an impact business that's going to give the percentage return that an investor will want. And so you might say, this is the impact I want to create and I can create an organization and I want to sell equity and I'm okay with that and I have built the structures and processes that make me feel like we can still deliver impact and take money from other people and lose a bit of control. But actually the return is not going to be enough for investors. Um, so it's just when you are dealing with investors, it's a, it's a people thing, it's a numbers thing, but it's also a legacy thing, which comes back to the building a business with legacy is is, is where do you want to take this business and, and how does it fit into your life? And, and is it something that you want to do forever or is it something that you want to sell? And how does your impact link into that story? Yeah. That's number five. So number five. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really have anything to add. I, I think it's the great list, let's say, um, this one and the other ones. Uh, it's, uh, of course, not an extremely complete list, and there's probably hundreds of other things we could tell people um, what to look out for, uh, what to do and not to do, maybe, what to experience, what to learn from. <laughs> However, yeah. uh, they were a very, very good summary of all the things to look into. And like you say, if you don't do these things, your business is probably going to fail. And this is the most important thing to really remember. <laughs> even if you don't like something, even if you procrastinate a little bit, you can't get around to doing it. <laughs> and you have to tackle them at one point. And I'll tell you one thing. If, if, you, um, if you're afraid of doing something because you don't have the knowledge or it takes up a lot of time or it's really not something that you want to do because we all have these things in business that we don't want to do but have to, um, the more, the more often you do them, the easier they will become and the less annoying um, they will become <laughs> as well. Uh, I can say that really. The first time is always the most difficult one. Once you understand the thing and once you've gone through and maybe put some processes in place, um, it becomes easier. Yeah. And the other easier thing is, you know, finding people to support you. Because... Mm -hmm the things that you find easy someone else will find hard and so just having a buddy who goes this is easy way to start um is really helpful and they'll there'll be something that you find easy and they don't so 
that's where having knowing other entrepreneurs and being part of groups like Christine's and working with coaches helps because sometimes you just need a buddy to go yeah it's hard but you have to do it <laughs> and um yeah thank you thank you so much uh, for sharing all this uh, knowledge um if you want to know more about Karen, or would like to connect with her because we're talking about uh, connections and uh, finding help that you need. Um, if you maybe even want to work with her, feel free, feel free to reach out to her. You find all um, the details on creativestartupacademy.com slash podcast. And everyone who wants to attend an amazing event for social entrepreneurs that Karen is running, she's running it actually in person in uh, in England, in uh, Cambridge, if I'm not wrong. Um, however, uh, she will also run an online version of that that I think is really uh, worth attending. Um, I'm going to be there as well. <laughs> uh, so you can meet us both and you can meet amazing other people. The link for this you find on creativestartupacademy.com slash podcast as well uh, under um, the picture of Karen. Uh, can you give us a short outline what this is all about? Yes, thank you, Christine, and I'm really delighted that you, you're coming along. Um, so it's two weeks at the end of September, um, and every day there's at least five different things happening. We're running it on Zoom, but you also have access to all the recordings from the Cambridge event, where we've got about 30 speakers on a whole lot of different topics. Um, so you'll have those recordings. There'll be live events, but you'll also have access to all the content through October and we're covering things like um, Christine's going to talk about writing your non-fiction book which I, I know she's done before but she's brilliant so I really wanted her to do that. I've got people doing surgeries on growing internationally so if you're a social organization that wants to grow internationally I've got some great um, speakers is on that who are running surgery so it's a one-to-one -one surgery we've also got speakers talking about investment so a lot more on investment than my little quick splurge now we've got i'm going to be doing how you grow a board so often when people are thinking about growing a board i'm doing a five-day challenge so every day someone will get a little task to do a challenge uh, we've also got someone talking on um, the topic of using investment as a marketing tool and how you get community engagement so it's it's partly crowdfunding partly investment raising there's just so many different topics um, but it's called the social entrepreneur festival and tickets are 75 pounds uh, plus VAT uh, in the UK, but we have a special price for all Christine's members, which is 60 pounds for the ticket instead of 75. So I will put a little code in um, that shows that you're coming from the Creative Startup Academy and Christine, and you can use that and get the discount if you want to join us online. Lovely, thank you, and thank you so much for the discount. Everyone, you should not miss out on that. It's extremely good value for the money. Um, and uh, shows, again, the social side <laughs> and the, the big heart. Um, thank you so much for everything that you shared, um, for this lovely offer, and um, all your time. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Christine, and I look forward to doing more with you. That was it. Thanks for tuning in. And just to let you know, there's a free 30-day Kickstart Your Business Challenge available on my website, creativestartupacademy.com slash kickstart. And it turns your business idea into reality in just 30 days. And if you could leave a review for this podcast, please, please, please do so because it will help me with my ranking. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to talking to you next time. Bye-bye.